Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes talking about the latest developments in the campaign. And Steve, based on the conversation we had off air, I'm going to call into question your religious faith. I, I hope you don't mind that. The, the, <laughs> the, the Pope is up to you it. You wouldn't be the first. You yeah. wouldn't be the first. You are very frustrated about the state of the campaign and, and use some salty language to describe it. But before we get to that, I want to ask you about Donald Trump now having apparently picked a fight with every other political figure on planet Earth is now in a fight with the Pope who and and uh, for people who have not seen the news story yet he, the Pope legitimately called into question Donald Trump's Christian faith where where how does this play out in the United States Steve Hayes So uh, I will uh do something that I'm not accustomed to doing and I will defend Donald Trump on. <laughs> um as I understand the Pope is basically suggesting that Trump is not a Christian or a proper Christian because he believes in in tight border security. Right. To to oversimplify things, uh, I think that's ridiculous. You can believe in tight border security and be not only a Christian but be a very good Christian. It's it's not a problem when the United States wants to to protect its borders, wants to maintain its sovereignty, wants to enforce its laws. That isn't the problem. I mean, I think there are other reasons for people to question, not question Trump's faith, and I wouldn't be in a position to do that, but question whether Trump's faith is the faith that he says it is. You can go back to the to the episode in Iowa where Trump was asked about communion, and he said he never has asked for God's forgiveness, right. and he characterized taking communion as sipping the little wine, eating the little crackers. I mean, I think for a lot of Christians, that will strike them as somebody who doesn't take um, seriously being a sort of full-time Steve, Steve, 24-7 Steve. He was Christian. just, Steve, he was just quoting two Corinthians at that point. The sipping. Two, that's a good point. All in Three two Corinthians, 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 four Corinthians. I don't know. Five look, spades, look, on, two diamonds. On the policy question, on the policy question, it's, it's ridiculous for the Pope to suggest that you can't be a good Christian and believe in border security. Uh, this is, this is, I think, yet another example of the Pope sort of leaning too far forward over his skis and projecting his his views of Christian faith on the public policy implications of the United States and others. And I think it's uh, inappropriate. I think the Pope's wrong on it. But politically, what does this do? I think this is a, a helpful to Trump because uh, it highlights a strong position for him. Uh, the Pope is, of course, not an American. It looks like he's interfering. And then there's that note, uh, Steve, you might want to, if you've ever been to Rome, it's kind of odd to hear a guy complaining about building walls who lives in a city surrounded entirely by walls. He lives in a walled city, a, a Christian stockade, a city essentially. With, with extraordinary security. I was in Rome yes. last summer, as it happens, and, and the lengths that you have to go to to be admitted to the Vatican are rather extraordinary. It's for the Pope to, to suggest that people who believe in walls and believe in tight security are somehow unchristian, I think, obviously, is a double standard. And, uh, yeah, in terms of the political implications here at home, to the extent that people care about such things, I do think it probably helps Trump. I mean, this is Trump saying, again, like, I'm challenging the authority on these issues. I think there's a common sense position, and that's my position, which is we should enforce our own rules, enforce our own laws. And there's the authority position, which is, in this case, the position of the pope who says, 
you shouldn't, then it would be unchristian to do so. So I do think, to the extent that it matters, and I'm not sure it matters, I mean, it gets a lot of attention. It's a lot of fun to sort of look at the Pope challenging Trump and Trump <laughs> challenging the Pope. Uh, you know, ultimately, are, are there a lot of people in South Carolina sitting there thinking, I'm going to vote for or against Trump because he's taken on the Pope on board? Probably not. If you look at if you look at the number of people uh, in the exit polls in New Hampshire and Iowa who have cited uh, immigration as their top issue, I think it topped out in New Hampshire actually at 15 percent. I think in Iowa it was 13 percent. So it's an issue. It's an important issue, but it's not the important issue. Well, I would add two things. Number one is uh, if you would like to see a Catholic in South Carolina, I can arrange it. The family lives in captivity at a special location <laughs> so people can come and watch and look at them. Secondly, um, the, Donald Trump didn't back down. And that's uh, it just reminds people you coming. Imagine what a Mitt Romney would have done in something like, oh, I love the father. And we must be understanding and maybe we can work something out here. So this is a ne- yet another good day for Donald Trump, which Steve Hayes brings us back to your frustration. There aren't many day. There aren't that many days left between picking a nominee and today. And Donald Trump seems to be having lots of good days. And even when he has a bad day, like Saturday night, what would be seem to be a meltdown at the debate, what's happened? Three new polls all show him solidly with between a 13 and 19-point lead in South Carolina after he joined the birther-truther movement live on stage in a South Carolina Republican debate. Sure. There was also the NBC Wall Street Journal uh, poll, which I think appears to be an outlier, which had Ted Cruz up two points nationally and and Trump slipping pretty considerably. Look, I think the truth is probably somewhere in between. I do think that that debate probably hurts Trump um, with Republican voters. There was a Fox News poll that we just released this morning uh, that had Trump up in a big way, 32 to Ted Cruz's 19, to Marco Rubio's 15 in South Carolina. So Trump plus 13 in the South Carolina polling. But there was also a spike, and a, and a major spike, in the number of people in South Carolina, at least, who said that they would never consider voting for Donald Trump. In December of 2015, that number was 24%. And in this most recent poll released earlier today, that number was So you now have four out of 10 South Carolina Republicans saying that they will not vote for Donald Trump, uh, that they will never vote for Donald Trump, even in a general election head to head against Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. That, it seems to me, is a significant number for beyond South Carolina. Look, Donald Trump, if, if the polling holds and Donald Trump does as well in the polling on Saturday as he has in the public polling, uh, to this point, he is in a position to take all 50 delegates that are at stake in the South Carolina Mm -hmm. primary. And just so people know, uh, they're handed out, uh, uh, half the delegates approximately are handed out for winning the state. So if you win you know, with 33%, you get half. And then you win each uh, congressional district. So if you have 33% in each congressional district and you have the lead, you win those. And Donald Trump could easily win at least 47 out of the 50 delegates. Three delegates per district. Yeah, right. Trump is in a very good position. If he ends up polling the way that he polls, I mean, it's it's even if he has a relatively narrow victory over Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, he could still win the, the vast majority of the delegates out of South Carolina. And that would be significant. I don't mean to downplay that. But let's be clear about this in the broader context. After Nevada on Tuesday, 
the Republican National Committee will have awarded 4% of all of its delegates mm-hmm. in the entire race at that point before we even get to the March 1st states. So this is a long race. If Trump has a big lead after South Carolina, if he has a big lead after Nevada, and I expect him to, that's a good start for Trump. It does not mean, as you will no doubt hear repeatedly from the talking heads and the commentariat in Washington, that Trump is now on a glide path to the Republican nominee. It's simply not the case. And people who say that, it seems to me, almost are wishing Trump to the Republican nomination when we're far from that being the reality, particularly because you have even in a place like South Carolina, nearly four out of 10 Republicans saying they will never vote for Trump under any circumstances. But what difference does that make if Donald Trump has his 35 percent and Cruz, Rubio, Bush and Kasich keep splitting the vote all the way down as they each gather delegates in the uh, proportional distribution? Remember, there's 530 some delegates available on March 1st, the Super Tuesday primary. And they're all handed out proportionally. Mostly there's some little twerks there, but essentially. And if Bush is going to stay in with his 4% and keep bashing the crap out of Rubio, and Rubio's going to stay in bashing the crap out of Cruz, and Cruz is going to stay in and on and on, and Kasich goes up and says, well, I'm going to win Massachusetts, Minnesota, and Vermont on March 1st, and Cruz says, I'm going to try to win what I can in Texas on March 1st, Donald Trump is going to keep pushing along with his 35% gathering delegates all the way, right? Well, he could. He could continue to accumulate delegates in the proportional states as far as that takes him. But frankly, it doesn't take him very far because we are so uh, we, we are so short into this overall process. But March 1st is think- when it gets serious. Remember, we only need 1,237 <laughs> delegates and 530-something are up on March 1st. And Trump is leading in virtually every March 1st state, most of those states like Alabama, Georgia, by wide margins. Correct. But uh, on March 1st, I think it's unlikely that you'll have uh, voters choosing from six Republican candidates. I do think the field will winnow. You know, whether Jeb Bush is still a candidate at that point is unclear. But if he finishes in the single digits or doesn't get third place in South Carolina, where, again, after New Hampshire, he sort of staked his candidacy, I think it's hard to imagine him staying in the race and continuing to spend as much money as he's spending uh, or as his super PAC is spending against Marco Rubio, maybe he does. But at a certain point, I think voters basically discount him. The same is true with Ben Carson. I think Ben Carson actually may may overperform the polls in South Carolina because the voters he has are loyal voters, right. uh, as Donald Trump's voters are. Uh, these are people who have decided more than a month in advance that they're going to support their candidate, whether it be Donald Trump, whether it be Ben Carson. And I think they're unlikely to change their minds at the last minute. Having said that, if you look back at the 2012 race as any kind of a predictor on voter behavior for the 2016 contest, 55 percent of South Carolina Republicans made their decision in the last few days uh, of that contest, of that primary. If that's the case, does it matter that Marco Rubio has had Nikki Haley endorse him? Jeb Bush had a good debate, uh, a good moment after the debate with his brother, George W. Bush, showing up in South Carolina. But it doesn't seem to have materialized into any kind of significant increase in support in the South Carolina polls since then. 
if it doesn't show up in support on Saturday, does that support then shift to somebody like Marco Rubio? How much of the support does John Kasich get in South Carolina, where he's not campaigning, campaigning anywhere? He won't spend primary night. Kasich had a good bump coming out of New Hampshire, in part because he won many of the late deciders. But if those late deciders move to Marco Rubio, is it possible that you have a scenario where Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and Marco Rubio are all in the 20s in South Carolina, and you have a major drop-off to Ben Carson, John Kasich, and Jeb Bush? I think that's entirely possible. If that happens in South Carolina, does it scramble the race going forward? I think it does. I sat in open mouth horror watching Donald Trump chant Bush lied, people died. And in the follow up, he's gone even more. Uh, 9-11 truth or there are secret documents about the Saudis and the, you know, the stuff. And it has had no measurable impact thus far, which means that there's nothing that Donald Trump can say in a debate that can hurt him. Steve Hayes, if you were counseling the other candidates, would you keep debating Donald Trump? And if so, why? Because you can't help yourself. He's not. His numbers are never going to go down. All you can do is have a bad night. If you have a good night, it makes no difference. If you have a bad night, it kills you. Why would anyone debate Trump again? Yeah, so I would actually have them do the opposite. I think Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz both would do well to actually challenge Donald Trump in a more significant and confrontational way. Uh, Marco Rubio has spent nearly $15 million in television advertising and hasn't spent any of it on, on Donald Trump. I mm -hmm. think he ought to. Uh, I think they both believe that they can sort of absorb some of the Ted, I mean, excuse me, some of the Donald Trump cast off vote if Trump doesn't continue to build his, his percentages. I think they're wrong. I think the candidate that ultimately prevails between Cruz and Rubio is the candidate that, that most effectively takes on and vanquishes Donald Trump. The way to do that, I mean, I think there are a number of ways to do that. I would certainly be highlighting the Bush lied, people died argument. I mean, but why? Wherever. No, no, seriously, I want to interrupt there because I just want to ask you, well, seriously, I want to ask you this. If Trump does as well as the polls indicate now, isn't that the end of the notion that there's anything Trump can say that will have any impact at all on his supporters? And I know that's an if, and it's possible that there's something going on we don't see. But if he ends up literally two to one over the next person, isn't the idea of beating Trump based on debates and <laughs> information and sentences and logic just over? Well, look, I mean, it's it's. Uh... It's reasonable that you would ask that question. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that I think if, you, if, you've, make, if you've made your career uh, making arguments based on facts, logic, and reason, and you've done that throughout this process and, and it's not affected Donald Trump, there is a temptation, I think, to throw up your hands. Right. Having said that, if Donald Trump does what he's done, let's just take the Fox Bowl as our example. So 32% in the Fox Bowl, Ted Cruz is 19, Marco Rubio is 15. That means 68% of Republicans are not in favor of Donald Trump. And if you look at the Fox Bowl, you have 39% of Republicans who have said that they will never under any circumstances vote for Donald Trump. That's a plurality. He's doing well when there's a split field among the other candidates. That's not enough to win. If you get to the point where you have one other candidate or two other candidates, it's far from clear that Donald Trump is the person who would win in those circumstances. And so I think it's totally valid and, in fact, necessary to make clear that the arguments Donald Trump is making about 9-11, about the Iraq war, even if you have reservations about the Iraq war, you weren't in favor of it at the time, or you've since begun to, to doubt uh, the, the wisdom 
of the Iraq War. The idea that you can go from that to George W. Bush and his team deliberately and purposefully misled the American people to start a war that they didn't need to start. The idea that that wouldn't have any effect on Donald Trump, I just don't buy the argument. There are segments of the Republican Party that are skeptical of, of Iraq, skeptical of the wisdom of the war. But the idea that George W. Bush deliberately misled the American people, I think is not something that is likely to have truck among most Republican voters. I think if you push that case, in addition, I mean, there are so many other places. Look, there are so many places to criticize Donald Trump, to go after Donald Trump, that Republican candidates are not now doing. And that if Donald Trump were to be the Republican nominee, you can bet that Hillary Clinton and the mainstream media would go after Donald Trump. It's far from clear that if Donald Trump wins South Carolina and accumulates, you know, tallies 67 delegates or whatever the total is, that he is then on a glide path to the nomination. I just don't buy it. I think it's far too early to make those kind of judgments. But I suspect we'll hear them and we'll hear them a lot from the pontificators and the pointy heads in Washington on Saturday. Uh, Steve Hayes, thank you so much for the podcast and for the pre-podcast, which which left me braced and my nostrils flared with your (laughs) colorful language. We will see what the editor's about maybe using that for a uh, a bigger, longer, uncut version of the podcast here on the Weekly Standard. Thank you for listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com for future podcasts. I'm your host, Michael Graham.